and to provide relief and peace and comfort and even healing if that would be your will. Father God, we trust in you this morning. We, I thank you for people like Nick who, through faith, are obedient to your word to come and to be anointed like you've called us to. And Father, you said where two or three are gathered in your name, that you would be present among us. And your word says that we can ask anything in your name that would bring glory to the Father, and you would give it. So this morning, we cry out in faith and ask that you would be with Cindy and her dad today, be with his health, be with his family during this hard time. Jesus, we pray this morning for Miss Lois Reynolds as well, who's going to have surgery this week. Pray that you would touch her. That you would be with the doctors, the nurses, everybody involved in the surgery, that you would prepare everything and have it laid out and ready. We pray for Wayne Huey. Lord, as we receive this word this morning, he's not doing well. Touch him. Touch Miss Barbara and their family. And God, as always, for our many people who are homebound, we lift them up to you as well. God, we are here to worship you. In spite of the situations and circumstances of our life, it is so important for us to be here, both in person, but also to be present mentally, emotionally, spiritually, to be in this moment right now to receive the good things that you have for us. And Father God, I pray this morning that as we enter into the reading of your word, that you would touch our hearts and move in powerful ways. No matter whether we have yet to surrender to you or we've been saved for a long time, God, you can still work and move and do great works in us. And we surrender ourselves to you in these next moments for you to do that. We love you. We thank you. And we ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said, Amen. talking about the end of the beginning, basically the, the end of the life of Christ, his physical life, and the end of the Old Testament, but bringing in the New Testament, the new covenant, and the blood of Christ, and that new relationship that we get to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be talking about the betrayal of Christ. And um, this is probably one of the most frustrating passages of Scripture that we deal with as believers because once you come to terms in your own life that you believe in Christ, and we're all sitting here today, and we have reasoned, hopefully you have reasoned to believe in Christ, without seeing. We haven't physically seen Him, we haven't touched Him, we haven't heard His audible voice, but there's something inside of us that has led us to believe through absolute faith that Jesus Christ is God's one and only Son, that He did die on the cross for our sins, that we can have eternal life through Him. And so when you read the passage about Judas who walked with Christ 
ate meals with him, spent three years of his life with him and traveling around and seeing all the amazing things that he did, how in the world could Judas betray him? And then you think about what he betrayed him for. And it says that he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, that he's willing to betray the Son of God and hand him over to the hands of sinful men. And I just want to read a passage with you in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. Kind of random, but I think it's good for us to understand this. And this is just one of the laws of Moses. You know, it's like all these many things that it kind of guides the people on how to interact with one another. But it says, but if the ox gores a slave, either male or female, the animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 silver coins and the ox must be stoned. So in this, in this law of Moses, basically God is kind of putting this understanding of the value of a slave. And this is a common slave. This is just your ordinary slave. This is not your special right hand, your maidservant or anything. This is the common cost of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. And Judas agreed to betray Jesus Christ for the price of a common slave. That's the value that he put on the life of Christ when he made the deal. It's baffling. But Judas was not there. Judas did not believe. And so while he may have been present with Christ physically, he was not present with Christ spiritually, emotionally, understanding who he truly was. That's why a while ago when we prayed that prayer, it's really important for us not to just be here physically because you can very much be somewhere physically and still not be there. And Judas wasn't there. So let's read John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. And read the account of Jesus' betrayal according to the Gospel of John. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove, and Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. And before I read this next part, you know, you guys know I I, I prefer to read from the NLT, the New Living Translation. I, I just like the way that it reads better, but there are some things that are as good as others. And so this is one of those examples. So in this passage, it translates what Jesus replies as I am he, when in actuality, Jesus is saying I am. And this is a proclamation that he is God. He, he's saying, you know, when, when Moses says, who should, I, who should I tell Pharaoh that sent me? And God says, I am. That is his type. That's who he proclaims himself to be. I am. And so actually Jesus is saying, I am in this moment. He's not saying I am he. So when we read, I'm going to leave out the he. That makes sense. As he's saying, I am, as he's proclaiming to be God in this moment. So in verse five, Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied, I am, Jesus said, Judas, who betrayed him was standing with them. And as Jesus said, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Talking about power. What a powerful moment for Jesus to proclaim that he is God. And it to have so much of an impact that their physical bodies fell to the ground at the sheer power of Jesus saying, I am 
God. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. And he did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of the suffering the Father has given me? And this is a really familiar passage of Scripture. If you've been saved, if you've been going to church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this a hundred times. You've probably heard a hundred sermons on it. But I do think there's, there's five things that I feel like the Lord wants to talk to us about today through this passage. And the first point is, is Jesus had a routine. When you look at this moment, even up until the bitter end, Jesus had a routine which he followed pretty closely. Judas knew where Jesus was going to be because Jesus would often go there and he would take his disciples with him. And I want to share with you this morning that routines are important. We all need routines. And I'm not talking about today an old man routine, like you get up in the morning, you drink your cup of coffee so you don't bite everyone's head off and you're ill, like you got to do your thing so that you're, you're just okay. We're talking about spiritual routine. As a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I think it's very important for every one of us to understand we need a spiritual routine in our life. Now, as beneficial and as important as it is for us to have routines, we also have to understand that routines are not written in stone and we shouldn't stone anyone who breaks our routine or affects our routine in a negative way. You with me? So for our kids, and and psychologists will tell you, kids need a routine. It is one of the things that makes them feel safe, that they know when they get up, there's a certain amount of life that's going to be consistent, that they have a home to go to, they have certain meals that they're going to eat, they have people that they're going to be around. That routine is very important for the development of a child throughout the longevity of their life. And as adults, routines can help us to be very productive physically, but we're focusing on spiritually. And spiritually, yes, routines can help us to be productive, but you can't be so married to it That if the routine breaks, it's the end of the world. You with me? So for example, this is one of the reasons why when you go to church and you have a pastor who's who's talking to you like I am today, a lot of times you will hear the old thing like, well, what can I do to grow in my relationship with the Lord? Well, you need to pray. And that sounds elementary. It's like, well, duh. It's like, yes, but do you have a routine of prayer in your life? Is there something like in your life right now that you, that if anyone who knew you, so if I say Kevin or Greg or, or Jared, and I'm just naming people, I picked on the women this morning, so I picked guys in this service. But if someone in your family says, hey, I'm looking for, I'm looking for these guys, where are they? And your family members will say, well, right now, this is the time they're usually praying. Do you have enough of a spiritual routine in your life for someone to be like, this is their prayer time? Or this is the time they're reading scripture. Or this is like 99% of the time they're probably going to be at church during this time. And there's just this understanding of there's a routine in your life. Again, does it mean that if you miss church or if you miss your prayer time or if you miss your scripture reading that, that you're going to hell and now like life's going to fall apart? That's not what it means. It just means that it's beneficial. 
and that we should try our best to have that routine. And there can be times where God leads you to change your routine because let's be honest, you think about your marriage with your relationship with your spouse. If you get in too much of a routine, it gets kind of boring. Sometimes you just need to change things up, do something a little different, you know, just try something new, go out somewhere you've never been before, and that's important. And even in your relationship with the Lord, as important as routines are, we also have to understand that sometimes the Lord needs to change our routine a little bit. But routines are important. And you can see that because Christ had a routine. He consistently went to the, the Grove of Olives to pray, and Judas knew exactly where he was going to be because Jesus went there a lot, and he often took the disciples with him to do it. And as a believer in Christ this morning, you need a routine in your life for your own spiritual growth, but you also need to, to identify routines that are beneficial in your relationship with Christ because you should also be promoting these things to your children and people in your life because the routines that work for you, you advocate for them, right? How many of you have advocated for a business or someone's job that they did for you and said, they did a great job for me, they did this, this was great, and then you tell someone else about it. You ever done that before? We do it all the time. We, we do that all the time. Why would we not do that for Christ? Why would we not do that for things in our life that are helping us spiritually say, man, I've been doing this, the Lord's really used this to help me in my life right now. Jesus was doing that with his own disciples. He was taking them with him to participate in his routine of worshiping the Lord our God. And reminding yourself, routines won't save you. You with me? Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you read your Bible, just because you pray, doesn't mean you're saved. Routines won't save you, but they will benefit you. And they will benefit people that you're, uh, you're leading as well. One of the things I thought was really fascinating, because most of us, um, most of us nowadays... We like to get on our phone or a tablet and we like to read the Bible. And I, I was just listening to this guy talk about how important it is for parents, if you're a parent this morning, to literally take a physical Bible like it's a visible Bible and, and your kids know what it is and to make sure that you're reading a physical Bible in front of them. Because you might be reading your tablet or your phone, you might be reading that Bible on that but if they're looking at you, they don't know. Like, so my kids, three, uh, four, two, and one, they don't know whether I'm playing on my phone or I'm actually reading the Bible on my phone. So it's really important for me to open up the Bible, the physical Bible, so they see, like, I read my Bible. And they see that because they follow our routines. It's going to be something that they enact in their own life. And so even being intentional about routines and spiritual routines is very important. Point number two. We need to remind ourselves that evil comes in darkness. Evil comes in the darkness. And you can always tell if you're ever wondering, is this okay? I don't know whether or not this is right or wrong. And you're trying to figure out where something lies. And you're trying to navigate in these moments. Always remind yourself that when something is masked, hidden, or covered in darkness, if there's stuff about it that you just can't, like, you just can't get enough information on it, it's probably a good indication that you need to leave that thing alone. And if you are with someone or you know someone or maybe you have the opportunity to do business with someone and you feel like they're just constantly like, they're not giving you all the information and you feel like they're doing things that are just kind of like under the table and, and doing all this stuff, 
Guys, I want to remind you, we as believers in Christ are not called to operate in the shadows and in darkness. We are called to operate in the light. We're called to be light. To be light in the darkness. And everything that is good, holy, and righteous operates in the light. It presents itself out in the open. It has nothing to hide. And in fact, everything about God that brings glory to God, God wants it to be seen so that it will bring glory and honor to Him. And anything that's in the shadows, we should have nothing to do with. And if there's anything in your life right now that you're operating in the shadows in, whether it be just personal choices, personal entertainment, uh, finances, job stuff, anything. If you're doing anything in the dark or under the table, we need to come to the realization in our life of we should be operating in the light. As followers of Christ, everything we do should be an example to bring glory and honor to God. And you look at this situation right here, and you look at what is coming for Jesus. Everything about this situation is wrong. They're coming at nighttime to get Christ. They have torches and lanterns and they have weapons. They're coming to arrest Him. And, and, and Jesus is, has in no way, shape, or form ever presented Himself to be violent. And they're coming to take Him in the night, which is against the law of Moses. And we didn't read this, but they're actually going to start putting Him on trial as soon as they arrest Him in the middle of the night, which is also very much against the law of Moses. And so while the religious leaders and Judas has schemed together to betray Him and arrest Him, because they're claiming that Jesus has broken the law, they're actually breaking the law of Moses or breaking the law of God in this moment by what they're doing to Jesus. And they're coming in the darkness because they don't want the witnesses. They don't want anyone to oppose them. They don't want anyone to hold them accountable. And it's very important in our lives that we, we live this out, that everything we do, we live in the light, and that we're teaching that too. And so right now we're going through this little phase with Perry where Perry's like, he's four. Okay, he started to realize that there's just some things we're not going to let him do. And for example, we, we don't let him take toys to school. So every morning we basically have to do a pat down because he started sticking like a toy car in his pocket. Or he'll put something in his book bag because he wants to take it to school and he wants to show it to his friends. He wants to have something to play with. And he knows that he's not supposed to. And so we're communicating with him even now because I don't think Perry is sinning by, by putting the car in his pocket and taking it to school. That's, to me, that's not sinful. But it's communicating the understanding that, okay, Perry, if you're having to hide this, we probably shouldn't do this. Because guess what, Perry? Do you have anything in your pocket? Guess what he says? No. And now he's lying, which is a sin. Okay, so all the things that we do, and we have to be really careful of this, even as adults, because it starts out innocent, like, oh, I just want a car, and maybe I can get away with it, which isn't sinful, but then he lies about it, which is sinful. It, everything that we do, that we try to keep in the darkness and we try to hide, we end up lying about and covering up and making adjustments for in our life to justify, and it just leads us into sin. So we have to be very aware of that. Point number three. Jesus knew what was coming. We forget this a lot of times, and we overlook this a lot of times. It's like, yeah, because Jesus is God, but <clears throat> think about how important it is, even in this moment, that Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen to him. 
He had every ability to go to a different place in this moment to avoid being arrested. He had every ability to call a thousand angels to come down and rescue him at any given moment throughout the process of the crucifixion and his death and suffering. He knew exactly what was coming to him. And we lose this a lot of times. Because in this moment, everything that is wrong about this situation is so frustrating to us as individuals. Like if this was happening to you right now in this moment, if the police came in, arrested you, escorted you out, locked you up against your will, and you didn't do anything, and you knew that you were innocent, and then they started beating you in the jail cell, and they started, you know, everything that Jesus is about to experience, if they did that to you, how frustrated would you be? And if you had the opportunity to avoid it, would you not? But Jesus knew everything that was taking place. He knew exactly what Judas was going to do. You look at John chapter 13, two chapters before our focus passage this morning. Let's read verses 26 through 28. As he's administering the Last Supper, he's like having the Last Supper with them. Jesus responded, It's the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. And we got to remind ourselves in our life that although you and I may not have any clue of what's coming, of what we're going to experience, because there are going to be good things in life and there are going to be bad things in life. There are going to be times of joy and there's going to be times of suffering. And we can take comfort and rest in knowing that whether or not we knew that it was coming, that God knows. We don't have to worry and stress and have anxiety about what tomorrow holds because we know the God who created tomorrow. And you're looking at Jesus Christ who who knew what was coming to him because all of this had been ordained and orchestrated from the beginning of time. Jesus didn't just even have this revealed to him a few days before. No, Jesus sat in heaven and he made the decision to come in physical form to be born of a virgin into this world knowing what was going to happen to him once he got here. He's known it all along. And Jesus knew he knew, he knew what was coming for himself, and he also knew what's coming in your life. And this morning, I think it's really important for us to understand, no matter what situation and what circumstance you're going through in this life, whether or not you have times of joy right now, or you have times of suffering right now, God knew that it was coming. He knew what you were going to be going through right now in this moment. He's experienced suffering and joy in his own life. Jesus Christ has experienced suffering and joy in a physical body. He understands what it is that you're going through. And so this morning, if you're experiencing joy, he understands the high and the greatness of that and how easy it is to kind of like relax a little bit in our spiritual life and not rely as heavily on the Lord in those moments because things are going good and we don't feel the need to draw near to the Lord during those times. But he also understands the suffering and how frustrating it can be and how we may feel like the Lord has abandoned us. But to know that even in that moment, everything that's going on in our life right now is God's will. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. Point number four. We got to play according to Jesus' rules. So many times people proclaim faith in Christ. <clears throat> we sign up to follow Jesus. 
because we want eternal life and we, we like the idea and the understanding of Jesus and we like most of what the Bible says that Jesus said. But there are some things for some of us that we may not identify with as easily as others. Each and every one of us are prone to different temptations and sins. Each and every one of us have different strengths and weaknesses in our personalities. And so there are going to be some things that you do really well and some things that you struggle with, even in your relationship with Christ, that are just natural for you. But we have to understand when we proclaim faith in Christ and we call on His name and we want eternal life and we're pursuing Him in that relationship, we have to play according to His rules across the board. And you look at Peter in this moment, and this is fascinating because Peter doesn't hesitate. Peter draws out his sword, chops off a dude's ear. I mean, like, you got to think about the fortitude that that takes. And it's not like he's been going around with Jesus, training with his sword. So more than likely, Peter just carried a sword because that was like the thing to do. They just, he just had a sword, and he's with Jesus, <clears throat> and, and it's not like he's been training. So he was probably going for the kill. You know, like he's, he's chopping at a dude's face. And you got to think about the fortitude it takes for someone. Most, of, most people in here today, if we like said, hey, I got this dog. I need you to take this dog out and put it down. I need you to, to finish this dog off for me. Most of us in here today would probably be like, man, I, I can't do that. Like, I don't want to kill this dog because we're so detached from it. But it takes a totally different person to look at another human being like, I'll cut your face off. And Peter slashes the dude's ear off. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, dude, put your sword back in its sheath. Like, you might be a fighter. Like, like there might be something inside of you that's like, when you proclaim faith in Jesus, that there's still things about your personality that you might be like, yeah, dude, there's just fight in me. Like, I don't know what it is. And you might be very confrontational. You might be physically prone to physical altercation and not think anything about it. I got a really good friend who used to box and for him, doesn't mean anything. And he's just as happy if you punch him as he is to punch you. So there might be something inside of you that is drawn to certain things, but you have to understand that in the midst of everything in our life, Jesus says, no, you put your sword back in your sheath. I've not called you to be a fighter. If you got fight in you as a Christian, that's great because you're going to have to have some fight in you. But you're not called to fight physically, you're called to fight spiritually. And as Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. When you sign up to follow Jesus Christ, you're no longer living a physical life, you're living a spiritual life. When you are saved, and you may not have ever been told this, but when you are saved, you moved from a just totally physical being to a spiritual being. You're supposed to be living a spiritual life. And Paul talks about it. The flesh and the spirit will constantly battle each other because you're still living in a physical body. So there are going to be things about the flesh that's going to battle the spirit that should be living inside of you. But as a believer in Christ, you're called to be a spiritual being, to focus on spiritual things. And when you fight, you need to be a fighter to be a Christian because it's hard to be a Christian. 
And you're going to go through trials and you're going to go through tribulations and suffering and pain in many different ways as a believer. And you need to have a little bit of fight with you to be able to withstand it and to carry through and to rely on Christ in those moments to carry you through. But we're called to play according to the rules of Christ. Peter was willing to die fighting, but Peter wasn't willing to die according to the way Christ wanted him to. Hint, that's next week's sermon. We'll talk about that next week. But we have to play according to His rules because it's a Jesus game. It's His rules. It's His reward. And He only gives the reward to people who play His game according to His rules. But you got to play according to all the rules. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to cherry pick. Point five, last one. What was coming was from the Father. <clears throat> we know this. This is another one of those points. It's just like, man, that, duh. Like, yeah, it was from the Father. It was meant to be. But we lose sight of this so much, even in our own lives, to understand that when Jesus looked at this moment and He looked at Peter and he said, look, man, you're bringing out your sword. You're trying to fight this your way. You're trying to save me when in fact I'm saving you. Jesus is about to suffer and bleed and die to save Peter. But Peter thinks he's going to save Jesus. I think a lot of times we get in this mindset that we, we want to save Christ or we want to do these great things in the name of Christ when really that's not what Christ has called us to do. And we're trying to do it underneath our own power and ability. And Jesus said, no, this is what God wants. And he looks at Peter and he says, shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Jesus in this moment knew exactly what was coming. He knew what he was about to suffer. And he says, look, man, this is what God has ordained for my life to be the salvation for sins for everyone who will ever live. And you, you're, you're wanting to chop people's ears off to keep me from doing this? This is what God has for me. And so many of us, <clears throat> we get tied up in the situations and circumstances of life when they get hard and we get frustrated and we're like, God, how could you abandon me? How could you do this? How could you let these bad things happen? Not even understanding that a lot of times in those moments, even though they are bad, and even though someone did do something terrible to you, and there's sin and there's evil in the world. And how could God let all this stuff happen? You look at this situation. Judas may have been greedy. And he may have not believed in Christ. He, he, there's no way he could have believed in Christ and did what he did. He did not believe Jesus was who he said he was. The religious leaders may have been jealous and willing to murder. And they were breaking the law of Moses in this moment. The temple guards and soldiers may have been blindly following orders, not even thinking about their consciences or what was right. And Satan may have been scheming this whole time, trying to get all this stuff riled up and, and turned against Jesus to, to overcome Him so that He could not be the Savior of the world. And while all of this is going on, that, that seems very unjust and very unfortunate and very sad, it is the very will of God that God has this cup of suffering and he slides it across the table to Jesus and he says, are you going to drink this or not? And Peter reaches across the table, grabs the cup and says, no. And he says, no, put your sword back in its sheath. 
It's not what we came to do. That's my cup. It's what God has meant for me all along. And I'm going to drink it so that I can be the one who can save you from your sins. And so many times in life, we get caught up in just what we're going through. And we get frustrated and we, we get mad at God. I've been there. It happens. But the truth is, is that everything in our life, and I can look back at even the times where I was mad at God for stuff that I was going through or enduring at the time. And I look back on it now and I think, man, God really helped me grow so much more. I'm so much better of a person and a follower of Christ now because of what I went through then. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those moments. It's like we don't realize a lot of times that God is sliding us those cups across the table and He's, he's calling us and he's, he's checking us and He's testing us at the same time. He's like, are you going to drink from this cup and are you going to suffer with me? You look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. I love this passage. and We miss stuff like this so much. But as the author writes, he says, even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things he suffered. Even Jesus in physical form had to come to the understanding of the way that we have to live, of the things he's calling us to live, that suffering brings about obedience. It's easy to follow anybody when things are going good. It's easy to take orders when things are good, when they're doing everything that they should and things are hunky-dory and we're just all happy and everybody's smiling and laughing. It's easy during those times, but when times get tough, that's who you find out who's truly faithful and who's truly obedient. And Jesus even had to learn obedience from the things he suffered. In, in verse 9, it says, In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. You pay really close attention to verse 9 because it doesn't just say believe. It says obey. And a lot of people claim to believe in Christ. Very few people obey Christ. And the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, is do you believe enough in Christ to obey everything He's called us to be obedient to? Because if you don't, you don't really believe in Him. You look at Judas. Judas did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. It wasn't just about greed. Because if he really believed Jesus was the Son of God, but yet he wanted money, he could have sold Him for a lot more. But he said, nah, he's worth about the price of a common slave. <clears throat> Judas did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He was not convinced in his own life that Jesus was who he said he was and sold him for the price of a common slave. And in our lives, so many of us as Christians, we set the price of Jesus by what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do. And the truth is that if we really believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and that He bled and died for your sins and my sins, and that we owe Him everything about our lives, we would be willing to obey anything He told us to do. We would be willing to serve Him however He told us to. We would be willing to go wherever He told us to go, and we would be willing to suffer and endure anything that He slid in that cup across the table. 
if we truly believe. And Jesus has not called you to do anything that he didn't do himself. He endured betrayal. He endured suffering. And because he was willing to drink from that cup, God qualified him to be our perfect high priest and to be the salvation for our sins, for all of us who believe enough to be obedient. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the men and women in this room. Lord, once again, we ask for you to be with our request. Lord, we pray for Cindy and her dad. Just touch them today. And Lord, speak into our hearts. <clears throat> Help us to play the game your way. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be willing to endure suffering in your name. Because those are the things that qualifies us to be your followers. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.